Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In week 7 of our Faith, James, and Action series, Pastor Kenny taught from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, about loving people who are not naturally your favorite. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to James uh, chapter 1 and 2. We're going to kind of be in there today. We're going through this series, uh, and this letter to to a church that I want to talk about in a second from Jesus' brother named James. He was an apostle. So I just want to talk about kind of the context of what we're going to be talking about today, the letter that we're going to be studying. For one, like I said, in James 1.1, it says this letter is written by James. He's Jesus' brother. Jesus had at least four brothers that the Gospels talk about and multiple sisters, at least more than one sister. Uh, It talks about it in plural. So Jesus had kind of a big family. He was the big brother amongst many in his family. His family didn't really get... um, his ministry while he was doing ministry. They didn't really get it till afterwards. There's a couple places in the Bible where it says they thought he was nuts, right? But that's kind of normal, I guess. If you have a big family and your older brother is, turns 30 and on his 30th birthday, he's kind of like, hey guys, um, I didn't really tell you this yet, but I'm God and I came here to save the world. You know, you would, you, it would take a while to kind of catch on, but they eventually catch on, which I believe is such a testimony of the fact that God actually is who he says he is. If you can fool your brother, you're, doing, you're, you're probably God, right? Um, and, and so James becomes the uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem, and kind of you have to understand how the church in Jerusalem operates. If you look in the book of Acts, it's about the beginning of the church. The first eight chapters, the church stays in Jerusalem which is against what God had said for them to do. He had to, before he ascended to heaven, he said, go and, and make disciples of all nations. But they just stay in Jerusalem. And you guys are like, man, how could they do that? How many of you guys uh, only obey the parts of, that God says that you want to obey? <laughs> right? You just kind of get comfortable. So it's, you know, let's not be too hard on them. But then persecution comes. People don't like the fact that what they're saying and what they're doing. And, and, they, and they're killing them. They're losing their jobs. It gets really hard. And so people spread out. These churches spread out and they go all over kind of the place. It's the dispersion. So James 1.1 says that James is now writing from Jerusalem to the churches of the dispersion. Right? These churches who have scattered. And the thing that you need to know about these churches is the people that he's writing to are mostly Jewish. And they grew up going to the synagogue, being Jewish. The culture, they, like, they, they were, they, the rules of being Jewish were like very normal. I don't know if you have this like at, at your house or growing up at your house where you have some house rules. And you have a friend that comes over and they don't know the house rules. And they don't take their shoes off at the door. Or they, they put their elbows on the table. Or they, or they talk too much at dinner or not enough at dinner. Whatever it is, right? They don't know the rules. And it's like they don't fit in. And it's weird. And you're like, you want to teach them the rules. Now... Years later, James is now writing to this church. They've dispersed. They start these, these churches. And they have like a comfortability with what they think is right. And what they think is wrong. But God comes and messes up all their plans. You ever notice how God does that? And so these churches start to get some diversity. Can you imagine walking into a house church in Jerusalem? I just want to take you there for a moment. You open up your house and say, we're going to start a church. And you have all these pictures of what it's going to be like. And then all of a sudden, uh, a couple people show up and they're like you. And you know them. They're Jewish, right? And they get it and they do all the Jewish stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be really cool. And then all of a sudden, um, one of the guys brings a Roman soldier. 
Roman soldier, like getting a little uncomfortable in my living room at my church. And then all of a sudden, uh, a, a couple of ladies come who are Gentiles and they're, they're dressed totally different, maybe a little provocative in your taste. And you're like, mm-hmm, you're not supposed to be wearing that to church, right? And, and that happens. And then all of a sudden, a couple of homeless people come in, right? And they're like, they're feeling comfortable. It said, well, it said everyone's welcome, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, a prostitute comes in. And then another Roman soldier. And these people don't understand your rules. And so James writes this letter because this is really happening. And he speaks to this very issue. And we're going to look at that this morning. And so the anchor verse of James we have to know, we looked at it last week, is this. James 1.4b says, I'm writing this so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. So James is writing a letter to this church, and he's like, I want you guys to grow to be your best you. And by the way, your best you, your most mature you, looks more and more like Jesus. I'm writing this so that you would become more and more like Jesus, which is the definition of maturity. And then in James 1.21, we looked at last week, you need to understand this. He says, therefore, if that's your goal, you need to rid yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess and humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. The, the, the implanted word that's able to save you is code for the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished. You need to implant that. So you, you get this idea. You want to grow up. You don't just go and do behavior modification and just try to change. It doesn't work. He gives an example of more like, like, like farming. If you're a gardener, you, you, don't, you, 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 you don't just you know, start like put a, a twig in the ground and duct tape some, some twigs to it and then start hanging some pears and oranges on that. That's not a fruit tree. No, you've got to plant some seeds in there you got to water it. But guess what? If that soil has a lot of weeds and junk in it, you got to pull that out. So he gives you this picture. If you want to grow, you need to have the gospel as, as the seed deep in your heart and in your soul. And you're going to need to remove some things in your life that are getting in the way. And you need to implant that word and then let that grow. That's the way you become more like Jesus, he's saying. Right? So he has this picture, and last week we looked at the fact that our confidence is in this, that the gospel is powerful to change hearts. How many of you guys believe that? So if you're an evangelist, you're going to go out and you're going to take the greatest product on the planet. I mean, it sells itself, it should sell itself. If I gave you a, a, a product and you needed money really bad, so you took my, and you took my job on Craigslist, and I said, here's this product, it's, a, it's like this, and you, and you look at it and you're like, I don't believe in that product, I wouldn't buy one of those, but I need money. And you got to go door to door and sell those. How confident are you? I mean, you might be a great salesman and rip people off, that's fine, but I'm not, I can't do that. That's not the way that the gospel works. The gospel is like, I don't care who you are, this product sells itself. That's what we believe about this gospel. And that's what James believes. Like when it's in you, it will grow and, and something will happen. Tim Chester, we looked at this quote last week. He said, the secret of gospel change, heart change from the gospel is being convinced that Jesus is the good life and the fountain of all joy. And any alternative we might choose would be a letdown. 
that gospel and Jesus are so much better than anything else that we could choose, it would actually be the letdown. When you believe that, you're on track to becoming mature in Christ. And then last week we looked at three check engine lights from our, our heart that Paul gives, I mean that James gives us, and it's the things that come out of our mouth. I don't know if you guys have ever like gone through your week and then something comes out of your mouth and you can't believe, I, be, I can't believe I have that attitude right now. I can't believe I said that. But it's saying something about what's going on in your heart. And how we treat people who can't do anything for us, right? Everyone knows a politician will treat people right when they can do something for them, right? And that's not against politics. We all kind of can do that, right? We treat people a certain way because we can get something from them. But what about the people that can do nothing for you? How you treat them really kind of is a picture of what's going on in your heart. And then how in love we are with the world, the things of the world, right? Like when Tim Chester says, the gospel is believing that Jesus is life and joy. Everything else is a letdown. When you flip that over, then you know something's upside down in your heart when you get that backwards. And so we're going to be looking at those things for the next kind of three weeks. We, he unpacks these three things again, and today is going to be this. We're going to focus in this passage on how we treat others who are not naturally our favorite. How we treat others who are not, not naturally our favorite. Now, I know some of you guys are super nice, and everyone's your favorite. You're my favorite, and you're my favorite. Everyone's my favorite. I love people like that. I want to get this t-shirt that says, I love coffee and maybe like three people, right? That's me. (laughs) Not everybody's my favorite. I don't know if you have anybody who's not really your favorite. I love everybody. I just love these people a lot more than I love these people. You're not my favorite. That's my tendency, right? That's my natural. And he's like, how do you, how do you love people who aren't naturally your favorite? How do you be that guy when you're opening up your home and you're Jewish and some Jewish people come in, you're like, favorite, 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 Roman soldier, hate them, right? <laughs> the next person comes in, ooh, well, that's good he's here because he really needs Jesus, right? Like you start having that attitude where you're like all judgy and you think like you're not your favorite. So, so James goes, James 2, 1 through 13, he goes, my brothers and sisters, Hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and then a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes so that you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, oh, stand over there or sit on the floor by my footstool, right? Translation, like, hey, come sit in my row, right? Ooh, I hope he doesn't go in my row, right? That's the idea. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes, you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by the footstool in the lower position. Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonor that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? Remember in in Jerusalem, they were doing that and had to leave. If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in scripture, which is 
love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you're a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. If you have a paper Bible, I want to invite you to do uh, something real quick. Just kind of start marking up your Bibles. If you don't like to mark up your Bibles, I'm not trying to talk you into it. But if you like to mark up your Bibles, then do this. Circle these things. Find in verse 1, circle favoritism. Favoritism. And then go to verse 4 and circle discriminated or judges without evil thoughts. Judges without evil thoughts. So we have favoritism, discriminated, judges without evil thoughts. Now go down to verse 9 and then uh, uh, circle favoritism again. Remember the context here in James 1.21 is that we need to uproot some things and we need to implant some things. Go ahead on the side of your Bible and write uproot. And draw a line from all of those things to uproot. Those are things we need to uproot if we want to be people of the gospel. We need to uproot favoritism, judgment with evil thoughts, discriminating. And now underline these. In verse 8, love your neighbor. In verse 12, freedom. In verse 13, mercy, mercy, mercy. says it three times must be important. And then I want you to write on the side of your, 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 your margin, implant, and draw a line. We're going to implant these things. This is the context of James's passage, is that there's some things we need to uproot. There's some things we need to implant. And he's going to teach us three practical ways to do that. If we're going to be people that live like this, without favoritism, like seeing, looking, living life like Jesus is, mature in Christ, then we're going to need to see people the way Jesus sees people. And then we're going to need to treat people the way Jesus treats people. And then we're going to need to view ourselves in light of the gospel of mercy and the, and, the, and the law of freedom. And so we're going to kind of go through those slowly and kind of unpack these things. Hopefully just exposing our hearts to God like a garden saying, God, do some gardening this morning. And the first thing is that we're going to look at is how do we see others through Jesus's eyes? How do we see others through Jesus's eyes? There's this amazing story uh, in the gospel according to Mark. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're totally welcome here. We love it that you're here. And there's four basically uh, accounts of Jesus's life and ministry and death and resurrection. And they're called the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John and Matthew were, were two of Jesus's 12 disciples. Luke was a Gentile doctor who became a missionary, hung out with all these apostles, heard all their stories, and then wrote down an account. And who's Mark? Mark was a guy who followed around Peter. Is Peter an important disciple? Very important disciple. And Mark followed him around. And Peter, I imagine Peter as a great storyteller. Right? Peter liked to just, you know, he was a fisherman. Fishermen tell good stories, right? The fish used to be this big. 
And then all of a sudden, you ever hear a fisherman like, I caught a fish this big. Or really because I saw it on Instagram, it looked like this big. Right? That's the problem with fishing and Instagram, right? That's why most fishermen don't like Instagram. Maybe that's not why. But anyways, I digress. Now, so, so, so J- uh, Peter's going around. And he's telling all these stories. And Mark's right there with him hearing his story. And one time Peter tells Mark and this group this story about this rich dude. Who the disciples are with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and this rich dude walks up to Jesus. And he doesn't give you a whole lot of description of him, but I imagine he's like from Manhattan Beach. He's like 30 years old. He's cool. He looks like a, he does CrossFit like nine times a week. He's ripped. He's like, You want to do some pull ups and some push ups, Jesus? Right? And he's got this watch on. You look at his watch and you're like, man, he's successful. And he just got out of his BMW. Like, life is good. Right? All the girls are checking him out as, as he's walking by. And he walks up to Jesus. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I heard about you, rabbi. Good rabbi, he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you're Jewish, right? And you know what the Torah? You know all the rules, right? You know, you know what it looks like to live a good life, right? And then he goes, well, I've done all of that since I was a boy. And Jesus, I want to pick it up. It, 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 what, what, what Peter tells Mark, Peter's sitting there watching. He was so impressed by watching Jesus and hearing Jesus. This is the description he gives in Mark 10, 21. He says, then Jesus looked at him and loved him. How do you do that? What's that look like? He didn't like, I don't think he, it's like Jesus like looking at him and like, I love you, man. Bro hug, right? He didn't, he looked at him and somehow Peter's looking at this guy and he's like, that's what it looks like to look at someone and love them. That's how he describes it later. He says he looked at him and he loved him and he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now the story is is insightful to me because Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he he says, you got to sell everything and give to the poor. And then you got to come follow me, right? That's what we hear. But implied in here is this. How does Jesus know what this guy needs? Jesus knew him. Now, some scholars believe that Jesus had had a personal interaction with him before and already knew him. Some scholars believe that he was Jesus, and so he he could see his heart. He knew his heart. Either way, Jesus knew him. He loved him, and he knew him. And then he spoke the truth into his life. He said, "This this is what's in the way. This is what you need to uproot. And, And this is what you need to do. You need to follow me. That's how you're going to get eternal life. Now, a couple things for us. When we go up to somebody, anybody, and we're looking at the eyes of James, not showing favoritism, treating, seeing people the way Jesus sees people, that's the thing. How are you going to do that if you don't get to know them? You ever just see somebody and you just, you just like make up a story about them? Just like, it, you don't even try to do it, it just comes, right? Like, oh yeah, that guy's holding a sign that says this, and, and he's, you know, he's just this, and that, and this, and this. You already figured it all out. How do you figure it out? You don't know him, right? You don't know him. You ever had anybody think they know you, and they got you wrong? 
feels terrible. That's what James is talking about. And so Jesus, we have to see this. Jesus doesn't walk up to this guy cold and start speaking into his life. Jesus knew him. If we're going to speak into someone's life, we need to take the time to get to know them. Is something that we can learn from this. If we're going to not show favoritism, then we need to be committed to getting to know people. Right? To getting to know their story. And until we know their story, we don't know why they do what they do. We just know what they do, and then we make an assumption. That's what he's, James is like, you can't do that. That's discriminating. Right? So we need to know who they are. Now, here's the other interesting thing in this Mark passage that Peter talks. The, the, the moral of the story is not to sell everything and give it to the poor. You could, you could get that. Okay, look, the secret is you sell everything and give to the poor. That's what this guy's problem was. He wasn't generous enough. No, four chapters later, Mark, Mark records in, in Mark 14, this other story where this woman comes in. She's a prostitute probably is what we think. She's a sinful woman. She walks in. Jesus is having a meal with some Pharisees and his disciples. She gets down on her hands and knees and she starts to weep at Jesus' feet, worshiping him. She washes his feet with her hair. One of the disciples, Mark records this because Peter remembers it. I wonder if it was Peter. I don't know who it was. One of the other gospel says maybe it was Judas. I don't know. But, but one of the disciples stops her in her tracks and rebukes her and says, Hey, because she pours this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And he goes, you should have sold that perfume and gave it to the poor. Where did he hear that? Maybe he heard it from Jesus. That's what he told the rich young rulers. Maybe he's just copying what he thought Jesus meant. Jesus rebukes him. Says, no, what she's doing is beautiful. Don't stop her from doing that. Right? So it's not about selling everything and giving it to the poor in this story. It's about the fact that this rich young ruler thought that his stuff was going to make him happy and he realized it wasn't. So that's why he's coming to Jesus and saying, what else? There's got to be something missing. I know I'm missing something. And he's like, here's the deal. All your stuff is in the way. Just get rid of it. It's not worth it. And then follow me. I'm worth more. And yet this other lady has already figured that out. Jesus is worth more. I don't care about this perfume poured on his feet. It's about realizing the value of Jesus. And yet Jesus looks at this guy and loves him and knows that's what his greatest need. And that's how Jesus saw people. Jesus saw people for who they were and what their greatest need was, which was him. And he always offered that. Jesus always offered, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus always engaged people with friendship. Dramatic pause. And service, dramatic pause, and the gospel. And I put the dramatic pause there because we do it formulaic. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to be friends with you so that I could serve you, so that I could plant the gospel in you, right? That's my mission, right? And you just run over people with the gospel, right? No, he, he, he engaged people with friendship even if it didn't go any further. And he engaged people with service even if it didn't go any further. And he was always ready that when it did go a little further, he would engage him with the gospel. And that's what we see in this story. Jesus goes up to this rich man. He, he loves him. He engages him with friendship, love. And then he serves him. The guy came up and said, Rabbi, I need help. 
Well, let me help you. I'll serve you. And then how does he leave it with the gospel? The one thing you need is to sell all that stuff and follow me. Follow me is the key. That's the gospel. And guess what? Guess what? Didn't work. It says the guy walked away sad because he loved his stuff. But Jesus looked at him and loved him, knowing all that was going to happen, engaged him with friendship, even if it went no further. And he engaged him with service, even if it went no further. And he did not withhold the gospel, even though it didn't take root. That's how Jesus saw people. That's how Jesus lived. So if we want to see people the way Jesus sees people, we need to learn from Jesus when we, when we read stories like this. And we need to understand that Jesus, was, he lived his life on mission. He lived his life on mission. What is your mission? I just realized this this morning. God taught me this this morning. My mission is to get stuff done. I got a lot of stuff to get done. And I live my life on the mission of getting all the stuff done that I need to get done because that's the mission of my life. Like, that's the mission of my day. And so I'm getting ready to come here. I want to get here to pray. I love praying. Is praying good? Praying is good. I'll answer it for you, right? Praying is good. Now, I want to get here to pray. That's a good thing. I get in my car. I just got home from work. I'm busy. I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving and shaking. I got stuff to do. I'm on mission, right? Get in my car. This guy, no joke, this guy with this scraggly beard and his dog that he doesn't have on a leash that always poops on my lawn, just being real, walks up. I never had a conversation with him before, but I've been there 10 years and I've been praying that God would help me have a relationship with this guy. Because that's a mission, right? So this guy's walking across the street. He sees me. He starts walking towards me. I'm late. (laughs) Starts walking towards me. Starts having a conversation about my car. I don't care about my car. <laughs> Gotta get to work. And it just hit me. The mission of my day is to get stuff done. I've been praying that this guy would come over, and I just became late for prayer. That was my mission. And Jesus lived with this gospel intentionality in his mission. It says in Luke 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is telling you his mission statement. He's he's quoting from Isaiah. He goes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set those in bondage free. He says that twice. That must be important. That's his mission. So Jesus lived with gospel intentionality. Everywhere he went, he was on mission. The gospel, people need the gospel. I'm going to engage people with friendship and service. And the gospel, even if it goes no further at any step, even if I get to the end of all the steps and it doesn't bear fruit, that's what I do. That's my mission. That's how Jesus treated people in light of his mission. We have to understand that in order to treat people the way Jesus treated people. And so, James tells this story. Imagine the perspective. James tells this story about this church that's got all these different people coming, and they're not their favorites, and they're all different, and and then they, they have pet peeves, and they don't, you know, some of them take their feet off. I mean, they don't take their feet off. They take their shoes off uh, when they walk in the door. Some of them don't. Some of them are like, they just go and get snacks whenever they want. Some of them know, like, you don't do that till the end. Some of, them just, you know, some of them are, like, dressed in a way that's all provocative. And some of the other ones are like, mm-hmm, she doesn't understand Jesus at all, right? She should listen to the fish, right? Whatever it is. And, 
And, and all this is happening, and he's like, look, here's the deal. If someone comes into your meeting, and they're, and they're your favorite, and they're your type of peeps, right? And you're like, ooh, yeah, there's a seat right here on the couch, or in my row. And then someone else comes in, and he, and he goes, and their clothes are dirty. They don't smell very good. And they come in, and you're like, spreading your Bible out, right? Getting all, like, comfy, and like... You know, or even in your heart, maybe you don't do that, but you're like, I hope they don't come. I hope they don't sit here. I hope they don't sit here. That's saying something about your heart. I don't want to be a church. I do not want to be a church in this city. I do not want to be a church in this city where everybody looks the same. When we first started out, I got everyone has advice and consultant. Someone said, who's your target audience? People who need Jesus. What do you mean? Like hipsters? Is this going to be a hipster church? I don't even know what that means. This is going to be a people church, right? And it's not even going to be about the people. It's going to be about him and what he wants to do, right? That's what I, I do not want to be a church where we're like, I, 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 I hope that, you know, everyone who comes here are like my type of people. There's not enough of my type of people in here. I want to be a church where like, I hope some people come here and make me super uncomfortable and sit right next to me today and they smell bad and I got to, and I got to deal with it. I want to be that church. Right? Don't you? And yet, there's a wrestle in my heart. Right? It's fun to say that with your mouth. But, you know, six months from now, and this isn't the topic of the sermon, be careful what's going on in their head. That's what James is saying. The gospel is the greatest leveling ground on the planet. Because it doesn't matter. Nobody's above anybody else. Nobody's below anybody else. Everybody's below the glory of God, it says in Romans. We're all leveling ground. We're all a mess. On Easter, we did this thing where we gave sticky notes, right? And we had all our, our, our guys, you know, type A athletes, jump up and try to, like, win a prize. And who could jump the highest? You guys remember that if you were here? Who could jump the highest? And, I, and then at the end, a little twist. Oh, the, no, I forgot to tell you guys. The person who gets the reward is the one who puts a sticky, mo- uh, sticky note on the moon. We can't do that. Yeah, none of you can do that, right? Go sit down, <laughs> right? Nobody can do that. That's the idea of the gospel. Nobody can live up to the gospel. Only through the blood of Jesus can we be saved. That's the gospel. And so in order for us to do this, the third thing in your notes, and we'll have the worship team go ahead and come back up. We're going to need to be people who are sinners saved by grace. Each of us is going to need to be somebody who enjoys the leveling ground of just being a sinner saved by grace. And we say things like this, right? Like, like, uh, 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 but by the grace of God, there go I. Have you guys ever heard that? If you never walked a mile in someone's shoes, we say all those things. But, but how about this one? You're just a sinner saved by grace. And Jesus tells a great parable about this, and we'll kind of we'll ease into worship with this. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus prefaces his, his short story that has a bigger meaning, a parable. He prefaces his parable with this comment. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So Jesus told those people this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Before we go any further, 
now that we know the Bible, for some of us, we think Pharisees are the bad guys. How many of you guys think that? Pharisees are the guys who get it wrong. That's not what's going on in this context. Jesus is talking to people who thought Pharisees are the good guys. Pharisees are the religious leaders. Pharisees are the pastors and the elders. Pharisees are the ones who who live the right way. And a tax collector in that time was like the the ripoff artist. That's how they were known. The sinner. So he goes, a Pharisee, the, 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 the guy who's supposed to be a really good leader in people's eyes, and the tax collector... The guy that's like, what is he doing here? Right? Not that we would ever do that. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Right? He's just being thankful. (laughs) Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector over here, good object lesson. Thanks for showing up today, right? That guy. He's a jerk, right? Thank you, I'm not like him. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, feeling uncomfortable, I imagine. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and I imagine just weeping, And said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Getting back to James James points this out to them. He goes, don't you remember how it felt when the poor, when the the rich people were treating you terribly? Don't you remember what it felt like to be judged? Don't you remember? And then he goes, don't you remember about the law of freedom that you learned, the gospel? That That you'll never be right with God based on your good works? but that it's all based on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross on our behalf. Don't you remember that that led to freedom? So why then do you continue to live with people who don't understand that? Why do you continue to live that way? So for me, for me, and I would invite you maybe for you as we, as we consider who Do we want to be as individuals and who do we want to be as a church in this city? Do we want to be the rich young ruler who had everything this world had to offer and yet realized it's not satisfying? Do we want to be the tax collector who has built himself up in his own mind and thinks he's doing good because he's doing better than everyone else? Or do we want to just be this this tax collector, this sinner saved by grace, who falls on her knee and says, God, we don't deserve anything. We're not entitled. Entitlement is that you deserve. What grace is that is getting what you don't deserve. We're, we're, we want the gospel of grace, amen? And that means everybody is welcome. And that means there's a leveling ground that happens because of the gospel. 
And that means not everyone has to be your favorite. But you got to love them anyways. And you got to get excited when the least of these show up. And the least of the favorites show up. And the way that you do that is like, like Paul says when he writes to Timothy, he says, I'm confident of this. Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. I'm the foremost. Start there. The world begins to look a lot different. The mission becomes a lot different. The gospel becomes a lot different. The kingdom becomes a lot different. That is what Jesus is calling us to. Amen. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.